everyone, and welcome to another episode of Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, a podcast conversation to share their secrets of thriving while living with chronic illness. Here's Nancy Becker. Hey, everybody. How are you today? I'm Nancy, the founder and president of Invisible Warriors. One out of every two adult Americans lives with at least one chronic illness, often called a hidden disability. The disability community is the largest minority in the world, yet instead of feeling inclusive and wrapped in camaraderie, most of us feel alone, unvalued, and unworthy. We need doctors who understand us and colleagues and family members who believe us when we tell them something about our health. Just knowing the simple fact that we are not alone and still have much to offer can be life-changing. In this podcast, we share tips and strategies, knowledge and support. In other words, hope for those who are looking for resources to help them maintain a thriving, successful life. Do you have a chronic illness? Well, here at Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, we have conversations that share the tools and mindsets others use to make our lives better. It's always good to know that there are others out there that have dealt with similar challenges. And our guest today is going to share with us their history and what they've learned along the way. Welcome, Susan Salinger. Well, thank you so much. And those statistics are mind-blowing. I did not realize all of that. And it's fascinating, just fascinating. Well, and what's even more interesting is when you when you do think about chronic illness and different things like that, you think about the older generation, the people who are in their 60s and up, the largest growing population of women with hidden disabilities are the ones that are in their 30s. It's amazing. Well, I know just from my own research, and I did research on women and illness, not necessarily chronic illness. But of course, I talked with women who have chronic illnesses. And my research uh, showed me that it takes about maybe what you'll know this more than me, five to seven years to get a correct diagnosis for a chronic illness. And so many of them told me that they were they got a psychological diagnosis, and they were told that they were under stress and to take this antidepressant or that antidepressant. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what Invisible Lawyers, my nonprofit, is is all about, is trying to tell these doctors that they have to be more aware of what's going on and not just zone in on one little aspect of something, but to look at the whole body, to look at what the person's personality and lifestyle and everything is in order to truly give a diagnosis. I'm going on nine years after my car accident And they still don't really know. And they're sending me to, I've seen over 3,000 doctors. Oh, my Lord. And you still can't get an accurate diagnosis. Nope, nope. We're heading up to, to two new ones in Nashville at Vanderbilt next month you know and there's always this hope and i'm bet we we went by your introduction and didn't even say who you are or what you do susan tell us about your book first and then we'll get back into the conversation and i i absolutely want to come back to what you just said because i have a couple of thoughts on it don't let me forget (laughs) you know being older i call it a brain fart some people call it a senior moment but 
bring me back to it. Anyway, I wrote the book just real quickly because of an unfortunate experience I had many, many years ago where I was on some medication uh, for osteoporosis and the doctor said, hey, there's a new medication on the market. Why don't you try it? I mean, sure, you know. And so I tried it and then I started experiencing some common, what I thought were common side effects. And he said, you know, no, 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 I've never had anybody experience these side effects. And I said, well, of course not, because you just told me it was new. But he said, you know, no. Anyway, to make a long story short again, he wanted me to have exploratory surgery. And I pushed back a little bit. I said, why don't we just go back on the old hormones and see what happens? But he was really concerned for me. I had some vaginal bleeding, and that is a sign of ovarian cancer or can be. And he liked me and I was a young mother with young kids and he was frightened. And of course, then I got frightened. And so I agreed to have the surgery. In fact, I insisted it be done sooner rather than later. And then had the surgery, everything was fine. I went back on the old hormones and of course the symptoms stopped. And, you know, I, I wasn't angry at him because if he'd been right, he would have saved my life, but he wasn't right. And I should have at least waited a week or two. I certainly wasn't going to keel over in the next 30 seconds. And I could have I could have done a lot more than I did. But I was angry at myself. I was ashamed. And then I kind of just put it to bed. Life goes on and that's what you do. But many, many years later, after I retired, my husband and I sold our business. And I went back to school and just started taking some anthropology classes medical anthropology, actually. And one of the classes I took, I did a project for uh, on women who had had hysterectomies. And much to my surprise, many of them had agreed to the surgery and, and they didn't think they needed it. So that remind, that acted like a trigger. And I thought, oh my gosh, that happened to me. I wonder how many more women this has happened to. And I got very interested in how we as women make medical decisions. So then I interviewed about 40 or 50 women, mostly with what I call women's diseases, you know, breast cancer, autoimmune, lupus, fibromyalgia, sojourns, disease, whatever. And I heard many of the same stories that, again, they also had agreed to treatments that they didn't think were necessary or knew in their hearts were probably not the right ones. Um, and that's the book, you know, so it tells, it talks about, how we, but women really don't we don't do what we really need to do to take the best care of ourselves and sometimes that's structural from the doctors there's there's things we can do when the doctor there is gender bias for example um so there are there are things we can do to overcome that and a lot of the the problem stems from women themselves and so that's what the book is about and it's wonderful. I can't I can't put it down and I have to keep putting it down because I have <laughs> other things I have to do. And yeah. it's frustrating because it's really a great book. And um, we will go back to what we were talking about before, but I want to touch on this while I'm thinking of it. Of course. Um, the women themselves and and you talk about this in the book. It's we've got to take our kids to school. We've got to cook the dinner. We've got the house right. to clean. I don't have time to be sick and, oh, it'll go away soon. Right. And, you know, right. so we don't pay as much attention to issues as we should on the one hand. 
On the other hand, we get the doctors and the family members and the friends who say, oh, come on, you're just being lazy or, you know, right. um, you're making it up. I was literally back in April, I was in the emergency room at uh, the hospital where I live <clears throat> and I was there for COVID, but I was in my wheelchair. Yeah. And the doctor said to me, well, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm here because I've got COVID and I can't breathe. <laughs> and, and he said, well, but why are you in a wheelchair? And I said, because I have complex regional pain syndrome. He looks at the other medical professional in the room. He looks back at me. He says, I've never heard of that. You're making it up. <gasps> uh, he had his phone in his hand. And I looked back at him and I said, you have a smartphone. Google it. <laughs> you and did he no <laughs> that's unbelievable yeah but I mean months ago this happened I've got a friend across the street who's on my board of directors who is bouncing from doctor to doctor to doctor with diagnosis after diagnosis and take this medication no take this medication no you can't take that because it interferes with this and you know so we've got all of these things that are hitting us from all these different directions. How do you get, how did you see these women finally coming to terms with the fact that they had some sort of disability illness um, and dealing with it? It's interesting that you asked me that because I, what I also did is I interviewed them. The book took me about 10 years or so to write because, you know, I did it part time and I have grandchildren and all of that and also a lot of research. So although I interviewed them in whatever year it was, I went back to them when I finished the book to see how they were doing and if they had indeed accepted their disability, accepted their chronic illness. Um, and most of them had. Most of them had. They had come to terms with it in one way or another uh, through di different ways. One, one woman turned to religion. Another woman uh, did a lot of volunteer work, which gave her tremendous satisfaction. But I think one of the things we should talk about, at least today in this podcast, is that women and men talk to doctors differently. And that could be important in terms of getting a more accurate diagnosis more quickly. First of all, men are much more succinct. They're much more objective. They're much more matter of fact. They go in and they say, I have a, a pain in my leg or my foot or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Women, however, talk about their illness in context. We describe how we feel about it and how it's how it's affecting our lives. Um, we give, a, and I'm very guilty of this. I give the full story. I don't want to miss a point because I want the doctor to fully understand all of the things that are going on. But what happens is that sometimes, in fact, often your physical symptoms can get overwhelmed by your emotional ones. And it can be hard to remember why you went in in the first place. I'll be, I'll, he'll be, the doctor, he or she will be off talking about I, that I'm stressed and I'm finally realizing, well, of course I'm stressed. I broke my arm, you know, but I think that we have to be very careful. I think we need to tell doctors how we feel. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I am saying that we need to be sure that our physical symptoms don't get pushed off and sidelined 
um, and and we this, you're not there for your emotional symptoms, or if you are, that's great. But you know, usually we go to a different kind of doctor for that. Um, so I think that's one thing that women can do to take charge and sort of focus the interview. The other thing I want to talk about just for a quick minute, which may help when you do go to the doctor and know that, you know, as you said, autoimmune diseases can, you know, really take a while to diagnose. So go in with an agenda, have a written list, not one in your head, that doesn't count. Have a written list prioritized of what you want to talk about. That will help you keep the visit on focus and off of your emotions, which is what I was just saying. And it also helps the doctor stay on focus. It keeps the whole thing on track. And I, I think too that that's a very important things to do thing to do because women do get psychological diagnoses more than men do, and we want to be sure that that doesn't happen, unless it's accurate. And see, that's the other thing. Nothing here is so simple. We do get anxiety, suffer from anxiety and depression more than men do. So the doctor could be right. He's not. He or she is not necessarily blowing you off. It just kind of depends how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that is a normal side effect, depression, you know, yes. and my husband says, well, you're depressed. I go, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you be? You well, know. that's, that's the point. You know, you, you've got all these aches and pains that nobody can figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you go to 3000 different doctors and, you know, they all have different diagnoses for you. You've got your husband saying, you know, I, I just want my dinner. I don't care about any of this other right, stuff. Right, you know? right, right. So, of and then you get depressed because you think I can't do what I used to do. And right. everybody is telling me there's nothing wrong with me. Well, maybe I am losing my mind. Maybe it is all in my head. You know, so of course we're depressed. Of course right. we have. I agree with you that. Know, um, and, and the statistics are incredible in that if you look at the cycle of a woman after she's been diagnosed with a chronic or autoimmune disability, they most of the time will lose their jobs. It gets, the statistics are incredibly high on the number of women who lose their jobs because they're going to the doctor. They can't get out of bed. They, they've got foggy brain days. They, right. you know, all these things and their bosses say, well, we can't work with you if you can't do your job. So they lose their jobs. They lose their income. They lose right. their insurance. 21% um, higher rate of divorce in families where the women have chronic illness than there are in non-medically conditioned families. And now they've lost their income. Yep. They've lost their income. They've lost their husband. They lose their home. They become homeless. They take start taking drugs. So because that's the only thing they can find to alleviate the yes. pain. Right. And and then they do become depressed and seven out of 10 attempt suicide at least once. Well, that's just a those are terrible statistics. Terrible. And I think that leads us. I want to talk for a minute. We were just so everybody knows we, Nancy and I were talking before this all began, you know, before the podcast about the invisibility of it. 
of a chronic disease. I mean, I was telling Nancy that I, I, I'm holding my arm up. I forgot most of you can't see. But anyway, I, you know, I broke my arm and I've got this black thing on me. It's temporary cast, I guess it is. And I, I mean, people are so nice to me. They say, you know, they open the door. They say, can I help you? I mean, I'm, I have all of the support that I don't really need because I mean, it's a broken arm. You know, I'm not going to die in six or eight weeks. It'll be just fine. But people with invisible illnesses, like the women I talked with who had fibromyalgia and lupus, for that matter, even breast cancer is invisible to the naked eye anyway. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't have the support that I'm getting for what is really a not very serious condition. I mean, it's inconvenient, but that's a different conversation. And what's so interesting to me is many, many, many of the women I interviewed we're so ashamed of being of being ill. And I'll bet that's certainly true of women with chronic illnesses. The shame was just overwhelming for some of them. And I found that so many of them blamed their illness on stress, particularly the fibromyalgia and lupus people. They saw their, this was so interesting to me, they saw their illness as a public manifestation of their inability to manage their lives. If they could only manage their stress better, the lupus wouldn't have come or the fibromyalgia wouldn't have come. And we just so often forget how random illness is. I mean, it's, some people get COVID and some don't. Some alcoholics get liver disease and some don't. I mean, I could go on and on. Mm -hmm. um, and That's I think really that interesting because <clears throat> the other side of that is both fibro, and, and I've got fibro, both fibro and lupus are increased they're they're made worse by stress of course of course yeah. but they're well, not caused by stress exactly and that's what i'm saying I, well and the mind and body are so can i mean you know stress is can can exacerbate anything mm -hmm. uh, for sure for sure uh, just I got to tell you two fun stories talking about reminds me when you say stress because the mind and body are so connected you're going to love this so they took researchers took two groups of students and uh, put them in two different rooms and gave one group iced coffee and the other group hot coffee then they gave each of them a script about a fictitious person and the people with the warm coffee saw the fictitious person as warm and lovable compared to the people with the iced coffee who judged that person much more harshly. Isn't that lovely? That so is body really does affect what we think. And now I'm going to reverse it on you because our mind also affects our body. Different, different study, different researchers, but they took two groups of students and put them in two different rooms. And one group at, was asked to talk about a time they felt socially rejected. The other group was asked to, to describe a time they felt socially accepted. The group that felt socially accepted judged the room to be five degrees warmer than the people who felt socially rejected. So they actually, the people that felt shut out and cold judged the room to be colder. So certainly stress does affect our bodies There's and vice versa. That's my point. Yeah. Um, really fascinating i know thing. isn't that fun i love i love yeah, stuff. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing so you know that that goes back to the fact that of course with everything that's going on in our lives and it's like i have to thank my husband profusely because he supports me he takes care of me he does everything in his power he's we're not one of those 21 percent that get divorced, right i can tell you know? yeah 
But because of that, I feel free to talk about these things, to share these, to get out there and advocate and to say, come on, people, you can do it. Whereas if you're in a situation where, you know, your family is moaning and groaning and your job, your, you know, boss is saying, come on, you've got a job to do. And, right. you know, all of those things. Of Stay course, positive. that's what people say. And it drives me nuts. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not going to be, those people are not going to be as willing to get up and out there and say, Hey, listen in guys, right. <laughs> I've right. got right. fibro. I've got... And the fact is they're the ones that should be doing it. Right. More so because they're the ones that have to be the advocate for themselves in order to change the minds of the people in their world. You know, and th- this is actually not my book, but there should be, I mean, I, I feel like there should be structural changes, government regulations mm-hmm. to help people maintain a, an income, if not a job. I mean, some people can work and some can't, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Um but well, and the ADA is a very, very powerful law. Nobody talks about it. Nobody knows about it, and nobody acts on it. Yeah. Wow. Those are it's, the, it's just a whole different world, isn't it? It sure is. And interesting. Um, I'm doing a lot of work right now in the travel industry. And it's with things like, okay, you call and book a room ahead of time and you say, I need an accessible room. Uh, I need it to be on the first or second floor because I'm, I'm, I can walk, but yeah. I can't walk a lot. And if I've got right. a lot to do, I go in my wheelchair. Sure. And so in a hotel, they always put me all the way at the end of these long oh. holes, you know, yeah, always, so I'm yeah. always in my wheelchair and yeah. um, I call and I ask for an accessible room. We get there and they say, yes, no problem. You know, this, we've got you booked. You get there and you say, you know, I'm here for my reservation. And they say, well, Ms. Becker, you're on the 15th floor. And I'll go, uh, excuse me. I said, first or second. Oh, well, we didn't have anything available. I said, tell me how I can get from the 15th floor to the first floor if there's a fire and the elevator quits working. I am petrified of, of being course. up on one of those higher levels. Of course. Not having an elevator working. I don't blame you. Well, this last hotel we were in, I asked for an accessible room on the first or second floor. Well, our rooms start on the third floor. Okay, I could deal with the third floor. Why'd right. you put me on the 10th floor? And they put us in a room at the very end of the hallway that was such a small room oh. that I couldn't even get the wheelchair in the door. Oh, my Lord. And that was supposed to be a handicapped accessible room. Well, it's got a handicapped accessible bathroom. (laughs) You can get a wheelchair in the bathroom if you can get the wheelchair in the door. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's so many things that as a a non-chronic illness, non-disabled person, I guess, I I don't realize, I don't think about. And I think that that let's talk about your book for a minute. Nancy's new book is called Rebels with a Cause. And I we were talking about it also earlier. And I think that that's maybe everybody should read it and really learn what life can be like. Well, it's an interesting book. And thank you. I'm, I'm really excited about it. 15 women from all over the world 
um, wrote chapters in this book. And it's a number one bestseller on Amazon in 35 different categories in eight countries. And it just came out on Tuesday. So that's so exciting. That's fabulous. Is. Congratulations. Really. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, uh, it's, it's really an incredible book because these 15 individuals all have some form of disability. They either have a chronic illness like I do. They have ADHD. They have a, um, you know, just all kinds of issues. And they are all, the chapters are all about these individual women who have, in one way or another, accepted their diagnoses, accepted their lives, and right. have moved on to have thriving, successful lives, regardless mm -hmm. of what's going on in their bodies. And it's a great way, as is yours, it's a great way of showing people that we do have to stand up. And like my title, Chief Flying Pig Wrangler, you yeah. know, if you sit there and wait for pigs to fly, nothing's going to ever happen. You have to get out there and do things and make life happen. And I think with a, with a disability, um, and you talk about the doctors, you talk about all of these different things. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in particular with these hidden disabilities, we have to do that more than anyone else. It's you get on LinkedIn, you get on Facebook, or you get out there and read research and the you see where disabilities um, are generally classified as things that people can see. They're the visible. Yeah. They're your yeah. broken arm. My they're, broken arm. They're right. being right. in a wheelchair. They're blind. They're deaf. They're, right. you know, right. um, all of these things. And even those individuals who have those kinds of disabilities find it very difficult to live in our world today. Well, you know, what's so interesting to me from what you're saying is that people with disabilities do sound as if they're getting, I guess I'd say the short end of the stick. And yet when it comes to, to, to medicine and diagnoses, I think women get the short end of the stick as well. Absolutely. So being a woman with a disability is a double whammy. As I know, there's like 12 million people each year that are misdiagnosed. Women are misdiagnosed 20 or 30% more than men are. And so I can imagine how it must be for you when you go in with a disability and they don't even know what you're talking about, like complex, whatever you said, pain syndrome. Yeah, um, it's it's really it's interesting because, you know, um, these these invisible disabilities oftentimes, as, as I mentioned, I think when we were talking earlier, I was in a very serious hit and run car accident almost nine years ago and I fell out of my car and fell my my left foot fell into a drainage ditch and my body twisted left and then right and then I went down yep. and immediately my foot swelled and it turned black and you know it just was I couldn't put any weight on it. And I thought, well, because I'd had problems with that foot. I'd had a surgery on it years and years earlier. And I thought, well, I just twisted it. I've just messed it right. up. It'll be fine. You know? Right. The next day it wasn't fine. And we went to the doctor and the doctor said, go get x-rays, 
X-rays showed nothing. You're kidding. Mm -mm. Nope, they showed nothing. So we figured it was just a sprain, like I had thought. But it didn't go away. And it took five doctors in six months to figure out I had broken bones, torn tendons, and torn ligaments. Oh, my goodness. How Five you... doctors. The wow. only The only way they ever found it was by doing an MRI. And I couldn't get them to do an MRI because it's a costly... You know, and they didn't see anything wrong with the x-rays. And so once they finally did the MRI and saw what was wrong, they did immediately did surgery. Well, by that point in time, and this is what often happens with a chronic illness, at that point in time, um, it was too late. If they had caught what I, I had, the underlying thing that I had was this complex regional pain syndrome, which is right. severe, severe nerve damage. And if they had caught it prior to the six months, they could have turned it around and cured it. But because it was after six months, it had set in and there's no That's going a, back. But it's, you know, one of the things I also learned from, from my interviews is that so many women don't get second opinions. And here you're saying you got five. I mean, that's fantastic. We just hesitate to get second opinions. And you're a perfect example of why we shouldn't. Well, this wasn't really a second opinion. It was my first doctor said, I'm just an old country doctor. I can see there's something wrong, but I don't know what it is. You need to go see a specialist. First specialist we went to see says, well, I operate on hips and knees. Go see my partner. Went to see the partner. The partner says, well, yeah, but I don't see anything that I can do for you. So you need to go see a physical therapist. They then sent me to a doctor that did physical therapy. And all he wanted to do for the six months was the physical therapy. And I said, it's not helping any. Then I went and got a second opinion. <laughs> well, then you're not a good example. You just flunked. <laughs> No, second opinions. That's maybe the most important chapter in my book. Yeah. There are, you know, I this is really important too, that we don't realize how many diseases. Well, there must be 20 or 30,000 different diseases out there. Mm -hmm. And many of them have the similar symptoms. So if you go in and you tell the doctor, well, I'm in pain or I'm tired or I'm no energy, no appetite, whatever, those general symptoms, that can fit, you know, a huge amount, a huge percentage of those 20 or 30,000 diseases. So for the doctor, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And he may or she may be right. They may not be. And it's up to you, which I shouldn't say, because it's, of course, none of us are doctors, but you got to do your research. And if the, if the diagnosis doesn't feel comfortable, go to somebody else and get it verified. Yeah. You know, your body better than anybody. Exactly. So, exactly. When I, when I was diagnosed with fibro was like 30 years ago. Yeah. And at the time they didn't know what fibro was. And right, they told me they were going to give me a frontal lobotomy. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, then they tested me for everything. Fibro at that point was a disease of elimination. You know, so they tested you for lupus. They tested right. you for, right. you know, um, all these different disabilities and diseases. And, well, you're, you don't have any of those. So what's left is fibro. So right. Right. You know, that's what you what you were dealing with back then. But now it's actually and um, I tried to get Social Security disability at the time and they told me 
if you can lay in bed and sell light bulbs over the telephone, you are not disabled. Oh, my goodness. So it really is hard, especially for women. And if you think about years ago, you know, the the complaint of men when women were having you know, medical challenges. Well, it must be that time of the month. Yeah, or, right. You know, those, all of those kinds of things are women are just so emotional. Right. And, you know, right. so we have to, we have to deal with those stereotypes, those stigmas. And oh my goodness, it's tiring. <laughs> well, it is tiring. And we should talk for a minute just from listening to you about maybe it's it's really important to research your doctor. In fact, incidentally, my book has a wonderful, if I say so myself, but a wonderful resource list at the back. So when I say do your research, I've done it for you. And you really need to research a doctor before you go. I always want to know where were they trained? That's really important. Where did they do their residency, their internship? Do they have any malpractice suits? Go to, is it Yahoo or one of them where you can, I've, it's in my book, I don't even remember. See what the what patients say, because, you know, it's a profession like anything else and every profession has its chair of lemons. I don't care if you're a doctor, a plumber, a hairdresser, we've all had bad haircuts, you know. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, it really just depends. Just because somebody's a doctor does not necessarily make them an expert. No. More than likely it does, but not always. And I think well, and an expert, they're probably an expert in what they've been trained for. But if if you go to a gastroenterologist because you've got stomach pains and they're looking at you, they're not trained in diabetes. Well, you know what? You're absolutely right. I just want to interject for a moment because what's really interesting, and this is in my book, if you go in with symptoms, the same symptoms, I don't care what they are, you go to a gastroenterologist, more than likely he or she will tell you it's a stomach pain. If you go to a rheumatoid arthritis guy, they'll say, you know, it's probably joint pain. If you go to a psychologist, they'll tell you it's probably stress. I mean, we all see what we expect to see. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's important to know. Because we 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 tend to diagnose, or I shouldn't say we. I'm not a doctor, but doctors see what they expect to see, and they diagnose what they see most of the time. So, if you're a psychologist, you see stress most of the time. Obviously, it's a select population, and the same is true for any specialist. So, I think that that's important for people to understand. Well, and that brings us around to the second opinion again. Yeah. Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was in a car accident. That's how I broke my arm. And I, I knew something was wrong. And they, I mean, it was easy. They took an x-ray and they said I broke my arm. But if they had told me it was stress, no, stress didn't make my arm swell up. And, you know, I've never had pain like this in my life. I mean, come on. You know, I, I would have gone for a second. I knew something was wrong and I knew it wasn't stress. Yeah. Um, I've got right now in, in one of my feet, I've got they fused it so I've got a metal plate in it and I can't move it yeah and I can tell there's something not right and I've gone to like four or five different doctors and they say well you, you can't be having problems with it you've got this fusion in there you can't move it and I'm going it moves it hurts <laughs> you know uh, it's just so frustrating but I can't get anybody to listen so now next month I'm going to a whole nother doctor but the only thing these doctors have been telling me is well if it hurts we're just going to amputate no 
And I went, it doesn't hurt that bad. (laughs) Yeah, right. And just be sure you go to a doctor that specializes in feet. You want an MD that's a foot doctor. Whatever it was. This one, sadly. Go to a different one. (laughs) That's that's my advice. But, you know, how much of this can we take? And there's got to be something that we can do that, that will help us over it's been almost nine years for me you said five to seven I'm on nine you know yeah well you know the problem with autoimmune diseases I mean and you know certainly more than I do is that the symptoms mimic each other frequently and there's no necessarily any definitive test it's it's they're extremely difficult to diagnose um and I'm sure there are specialists I mean like the Mayo Clinic probably might have a clue But that's why I'm saying it's really important not only to research your doctor, but what's their specialty, but and what hospital are they associated with? And your hospitals get graded and the hospital may get an A plus in cardiovascular stuff and a D minus. Well, they'll never an A plus hospital wouldn't get a D minus, but let's say a B minus in joint and, and rheumatoids. I mean, I don't know. I mean, but well, you know, and that's true. My husband just had triple bypass heart surgery and our hospital was, is rated a plus in perfect. cardiology. So I felt very comfortable with him having a surgery there. Me, on the other hand, I drive three hours North to Vanderbilt in Nashville because that's I can't get, a, I can't get a doctor in Huntsville to even no. understand what Right. So, yes, is right. Right. So, right. Right. You you do, and that's by doing research and mm-hmm. and looking up and talking and everything else. And I can't believe I just looked at the clock, and we are well over our time. Oh wow! Look at that. We I didn't realize either, but this was wonderful. Thank this you. Was, this was great, but we I know you've got something yeah. you're expecting so i'm gonna we're gonna wrap this up is there anything that we haven't talked about that you need to address before we close let's see we talked about the shame we talked about second opinions we talked about the conversations how you know how to talk to you no i think we covered a lot we covered it all so Great. interesting to learn as much as i did from you i appreciate it well, i really thank do you. thank you and i am gonna sit down after we're done and read another chapter of your book <laughs> Read the resource list in the back if you read nothing else. So at least you know, there's, I'll bet you've never heard of, I think it's called Leaping Frog or Frog Leaping, something like that, Leapfrog. It'll tell you how to, I think it's the one that tells you how to rate your hospitals. I mean, check it out. I will. Absolutely. That's great. So anyway, we are going to close now. And thank you, Susan, so much for all the wonderful information today. Uh, Finally, to wrap things up, often after a podcast, people want to know more about some of the things that we do at Invisible Warriors. And if you'd like to hop on a Zoom, my contact info is in the show notes, as is Susan's. If anybody has any questions and would like to talk to you, I'm sure you would. Oh, I'd be delighted. Absolutely delighted. Okay. Right now, here at Invisible Warriors, we are working on an art contest called Beauty Within and Around. What does it look like to live a day in the life of someone with a chronic illness? If you'd like to showcase your artwork of any medium, head on over to invisiblewarriors.org slash events and check out the events page. We'd love to include your vision of chronic illness. 
And um, with that, it is closing. So you're going to have to hurry on over to do that. But if you've liked listening to Don't Wait Till Pigs Fly, please give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, guys, get out there, be productive, and soar higher. Take care, and we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye, y'all. Bye.